This is the Intego Mac Podcast, the voice of Mac security, for Thursday, June 3rd, 2021. This week's Intego Mac Podcast security headlines include Facebook is behind a research paper showing Apple security efforts in a bad light. Intel is behind research that tries to put Apple's new processors in a bad light. Amazon Sidewalk wants to share your Wi-Fi. We'll tell you how to opt in or out. Do Apple's new processors mean we're headed towards a forever Mac? Now, here are the hosts of the Intego Mac Podcast, veteran Mac journalist Kirk McElhern and Intego's chief security analyst, Josh Long. Good morning, Josh. How are you today? I'm doing well. How are you, Kirk? I'm doing just fine. What did Facebook do now? Oh, it's not really too much of a surprise. They they issued some statement about how the new privacy in iOS 14.5, which, by the way, we're at 14.6 now, but okay. Anyway, they, they released some statement about how Apple's changes in iOS 14.5 to the way that they're handling so-called privacy is ruining the world and it's harming competition and it's harming consumers under the guise of protecting privacy. And we're supposed to believe Facebook about this? But wait, Josh, this is not a press release. This is a research paper written by... D. Daniel Sokol, University of Florida, Levin College of Law, and Feng Ju, Harvard University, Harvard Business School. And we'll link to it if you really want to read it. It's got an abstract, and it's got suggested citation, and it's got references, and it's a proper academic paper. It's like a satire of an academic paper. <laughs> yeah. Honestly, anybody can put out something that has the appearance of being a well-researched academic paper. And you can make it say basically whatever you want to say. And so clearly Facebook um, sponsored this research paper. And so it's not really terribly surprising to see the conclusion that they came to. Well, see, this is uh, there's a term for this in research. When you start with a conclusion and you prove it, rather than you start with a hypothesis to try and prove it true or false. So this is clearly two academics who got bought out by Facebook. I mean, shame on you if you're, you know, a professor of law or a Harvard Business School and you do that. And, and I'm just looking through the document, and there are things like, here's a screenshot, figure three, placement and labeling of iOS privacy controls applicable to third-party apps and to Apple's apps and services. And that sounds really good, right? And they circle the thing that says tracking, and then there's a little box that says... Apple's catch-all controls section for third-party apps is pejoratively labeled tracking and sits at the top. And then Apple has a separate ads control section labeled Apple advertising, which is buried at the bottom of the screen and that users must scroll down to find. Now, I'd like to see them analyze the Facebook app and have them try and find settings and figure out among the myriad settings that branch in many directions how to find anything. Facebook is <laughs> it's definitely known as one of the most difficult sites or apps to configure the way that you want it configured. And often those um, settings that you're looking for, especially anything that's related to privacy is well hidden. So we're not buying it. By the way, um, John Gruber had a, had a fun comment on this on Daring Fireball on his blog. He said, by sharply reducing burglaries, police are limiting the ability of pawn shops to create value from stolen goods. What I find interesting is what's the end game for Facebook here? They're not going to change anything. They're trying to get people angry at Apple. But, you know, they did these full page ads. Was it New York Times, Wall Street Journal, I think? 
they're trying to get users angry at Apple, but users aren't going to read this research paper. This is more, I guess, to get journalists to pull some quotes from it mm -hmm. to to try and write stories to make Apple look bad. Yeah, I feel like in some ways, this is a little bit similar to Epic's lawsuit of Apple. And now there has been a lot of really interesting stuff that's come out because of, uh, of the Epic lawsuit against Apple. But it's one of those things where it seems like the actual goal here is not what they're stating so much as it is to sort of put Apple in a bad light, right? They want to make Apple look bad. And so therefore they're doing this thing to try to make Apple look bad because they don't like Apple's emphasis on uh, privacy in Facebook's case, or they don't like Apple the way that they're handling the App Store in Epic's case. There, now, there are a lot of people who feel like Epic has a much stronger case here. Um, I think when it comes to privacy, I think privacy is something that people should care a lot about. And I don't think there are going to be too many people on Facebook's side of, <laughs> of the issue. In a related story, Intel decided that they wanted to show that Apple's processors aren't as good as Intel processors. So what they did is they showed a graph with processors in a 16-inch MacBook Pro and processors in what's called an Intel-branded system. Now, the thing is, the processors in the 16-inch MacBook Pro are Intel processors. And they said the best Mac laptop for gaming can't keep up. But they were saying that the Intel processors aren't as good as the Intel processors. They weren't talking about Apple's M1 processors because, well, there's no 16-inch MacBook Pro yet with M1 processors. We'll link to 9 to 5 Mac's commentary where they say that latest Intel versus Apple presentation scores own goal. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of funny. Intel has been doing this campaign recently, this anti-Apple campaign. Obviously, um, at least people in the marketing department at Intel feel that it's a big shame that Apple has decided to leave Intel behind. And, and it's a gradual transition, but we, we all know that Apple is transitioning to Apple Silicon. And every Mac at, at some point in the near, relatively near future is going to be using an M1 or later generation Apple Silicon processor rather than an Intel processor. And they show this uh, this chart in the 9to5Mac article, which we'll link to. They're showing a 16-inch MacBook Pro with an Intel Core i9 processor and comparing it with an Intel-branded system with an Intel Core i5 processor. The reason why the Intel-branded system is actually scoring so much better, in some cases up to three and a half times better, is because the Intel branded system is using this latest generation of Intel processors that they just released. And they're comparing it with a MacBook Pro that's using a two generations old version of the processor. Plus, I'm not up on video cards, but I would guess that the Intel branded system has a much better video card than the Apple one because they're talking about an AMD Radeon Pro 5600M I'm pretty sure that that's a video card that's been in Apple devices for many years. And video cards are a large part of game performance today. So, you know, let, let's compare the latest Dodge Charger to a 1973 Impala or something, right? Because I don't think you can compare games without talking about the graphics card anymore. Okay, last week we talked about a developer, Costa Eleftheriou, and I hope I'm pronouncing his name correctly. He found some apps that would only work 
if you rated them three stars or higher, that as soon as you launched the apps on iOS, it would show a rating screen and you couldn't use the apps unless you rated them three stars or higher. Now, he's found another app that does this. I just want to note that his Twitter biography says professional app store critic. <laughs> so, you know, he's looking for this. I don't know what he develops other than this. He's looking for these things and I think it's good that he's finding them. But it, this is another video app, something that casts video. And we'll link to a tweet where he's got a, a, a video showing him trying to use the app and not being able to use it because he doesn't want to rate it three stars or higher. And this video looks exactly the same as the one last week, except, of course, this is a new, a different app. So basically, the, the whole point of this is that he's saying, look, that's great that Apple took down the one app that I highlighted last week, but um, there's still a bunch of apps that are doing the same exact thing. He's basically calling on Apple to do a better job of filtering these things and making sure that apps that clearly violate Apple's policies don't make it into the App Store in the first place. Okay, it doesn't just crash Safari. Apple has yet to fix an exploitable flaw. Ars Technica talking about a bug, a WebKit bug that was fixed upstream has yet to find its way into Apple products. I think what they mean by fixed upstream is that WebKit is a framework that's developed outside of Apple and Apple uses it in all of its, in Safari, in Mail, in anything that renders content like that. The latest version of Safari is, uh, for the Mac, is Safari 14.1.1. Um, which is available for macOS Mojave and later. So macOS Mojave, Catalina, and Big Sur. And if you've got the latest version, you would expect that you would have the latest version of WebKit, the underlying rendering engine. And apparently you're not actually getting the latest version of WebKit after all. So I, I don't know why exactly there's this delay. If there are known vulnerabilities, usually Apple will provide a patch fairly quickly to um, to resolve those things, especially if this is potentially something that might be publicly exploited. And um, so, yeah, Apple's a little bit behind on releasing the patch publicly for this in Apple's own Safari browser, which is kind of funny, I guess. Okay, we want to talk about Amazon Sidewalk. We have an article on the Intego Mac Security blog talking about how to disable Amazon Sidewalk. So here's what it is. If you've got Amazon devices, which could be Ring devices, they could be Echo devices, they're going to be others, by the way. There are other Amazon devices coming. They bought Eero, the mesh Wi-Fi company, and they haven't rolled that into the sort of Amazon device family yet. They've developed a system where – here's a good example. Let's say you've got a security camera on your garage, and it's just at the edge of your Wi-Fi, and sometimes your Wi-Fi won't pick it up. But it's close enough to your neighbor's Wi-Fi, and if they have an Amazon device, you can piggyback onto their Wi-Fi to get notifications and potentially to see videos. Now, Amazon says this won't use more than 80 kilobytes per second of data at a maximum of 500 megabytes per month. But the problem is you have to opt out. Amazon is making everyone use this. And if you don't want to use this, you have to opt out. So in this article, we explain how to do it. It's not complicated. But the approach of doing this is a, a bit heavy-handed. Now, Josh and I were talking before the show. I'm not entirely against this idea. I think it's actually quite clever. But can we trust Amazon with this sort of privacy data? 
I don't think that we should. I don't think we we should have to, right? This is something that should be an opt-in feature. Now, I understand why Amazon is not doing that because clearly they want to make sure that all these things like tile trackers are going to have as wide access as possible to this network. And frankly, I, I mean, you know, comparing this to Apple and looking at what they're doing with AirTags, Apple didn't ask you to opt in. They're just making this available to all iOS, iPadOS devices. So if you're making a fair comparison between these two companies, I guess you could say that maybe Apple shouldn't be doing this either. However, there there are some differences here. One of them, I think, is that supposedly there's a very negligible amount of data uh, that's being transmitted on the Apple side. Whereas with Sidewalk, they're saying that it could use up to 500 megabytes per month, which could be kind of a lot. Also, what do they mean exactly by per month? Is that the first day of the calendar month to the last day of the calendar month. Not everybody's necessarily billed that way. You know, some people have data caps. If they go over a certain amount of data, then they may get throttled, for example. And and this is even on non-mobile ISPs in some cases. So to say that, well, we're limiting it to 500 megabytes per month. Okay, probably for most people, 500 megabytes is not a big deal. I mean, this is like downloading a CD image of something, right? But I, I don't know that they should be doing this by default, that they just opt everybody in and then force you to have to opt out. There's a service that uh, goes back about 20 years. I believe it started in Spain. It was called Phone, F-O-N. And you would get a Wi-Fi hotspot from Phone, and people would choose to do this, some of your bandwidth would be available to other users. And I think the company's still around, but back in the day when you didn't have cellular devices, you could drive around and maybe find, you know, do some more driving and maybe find someone who has a phone device on. And since you were part of the phone network, you were sharing yours, you could in turn get some bandwidth from other people. But users were very aware of this. They not only opted in, they chose to be part of this. Right Here, the real problem is that they're not. Now, you compared it to Apple, and it's true that Apple does not ask people to opt in to AirTag tracking, but this is part of the Find My network. So if you're using Find My to protect your devices, then you're already using that network, and you want to use that network. There's a setting to turn it off. I'd strongly recommend that people leave it on because you can use it to find your own devices or if you have friends and family where you're sharing location. And as we discussed recently, you can also use that same technology to find out if someone is trying to track you with an AirTag, given that it's traveling with you for three days and the person who registered that AirTag is not also with you on some part of that three days. But yes, um, it, it can also benefit you in that sense, too, if someone is trying to track you long term and they're away from you for several days. Right. So the difference here is this isn't mobile devices. It's only in the home or for taps in the office. You have to have what Amazon calls a sidewalk bridge, and only certain devices can do this. And, and interestingly, just to talk about ring devices, it's a ring floodlight cam, a spotlight cam wired, or a spotlight cam mount. It's not like if you have a ring alarm system and you have the ring alarm base station, which isn't doing this. I think this has to do with when it was manufactured that they've added the technology in because they're talking about 2019 for that. I would expect 
I would expect that it wouldn't be the endpoint devices that are the the bridges, which is kind of like on Apple's side, a HomeKit hub, I would expect it to be more fixed devices. So it's a number of Echo devices, including the Echo Dot. And if you want to do this, the Echo Dot, you can probably get for 25 bucks on Prime Day, which is, I think, 21st of June this year. They just announced it. But there are not a lot of devices available. Now, as I understand it, as long as you have a bridge, all your devices that are connected will go through that bridge and they will share. But you may not be, if you can only have certain ring cameras as these devices and you don't have any Echo devices, then you don't have anything that works like that. If, on the other hand, you have Echo devices, but let's say you don't have any cameras that are outside of range, then there's no point in you being involved in this anyway. Yeah, Prime Day is uh, June 21st and 22nd this year, which is funny because neither 21 nor 22 are prime numbers, but okay. They, they used to do this where, you know, it was a prime number, on Prime Day. No. Are yeah. you serious? Yeah. I had no idea. That that <laughs> went totally over my head. I just thought it was because of Amazon Prime. Well, that too. But in any case, <laughs> uh, so, but I wanted to point out too, the Ring doorbells are also not one of the devices that are on this list. And that's the device that I think the majority of Ring users probably have a doorbell and then they may be accessorized by getting one of these other cameras like the floodlight cam. And so that is worth pointing out that this is not something that as of right now is built into Ring doorbells. However, if you have a Ring doorbell and an Echo device and you've linked the two accounts because you can have a Ring account and link it to your Amazon account, in which case it would work for that. Okay, we're going to take a break. When we come back, we're going to talk about the Forever Mac. Protecting your online security and privacy has never been more important than it is today. Intego has been proudly protecting Mac users since 1997, and our latest Mac protection suite includes the tools you need to stay protected in 2021. Intego's Mac Premium Bundle X9 includes Virus Barrier, the world's best Mac anti-malware protection, Net Barrier, for powerful inbound and outbound firewall security. Personal backup will keep your important files safe from ransomware. And much more to help protect, secure, and organize your Mac. Best of all, it's compatible with macOS Big Sur and the latest Apple Silicon Macs. Download the free trial of Mac Premium Bundle X9 from Intego.com today. When you're ready to buy, Intego Mac Podcast listeners can get a special discount by using the link in this episode's show notes at podcast.intego.com. That's podcast.intego.com. And click on this episode to find the special discount link exclusively for Intego Mac Podcast listeners. Intego, world-class protection and utility software for Mac users, made by the Mac security experts. So, Josh, have you gotten a new Mac yet? Not yet. No, I really need to get one of those fanless MacBooks. I haven't gotten to it yet, but uh, I, I pr I'm probably going to have to do that this summer, I think. This is one of these running jokes when we prepare to record a <laughs> podcast. Josh's fan on his laptop goes really crazy, and he's got a quit apps and closed tabs and everything. And I keep telling him, I mean, it was six months ago or more that I bought the MacBook Air without a fan. It makes no noise at all. It's a beautiful thing. Yeah. And so now we have the new iMac, which we talked about last week, which I have yet to hear the fan on my iMac, and I don't know what I could do to make it active. But thinking about new Macs and how powerful these processors are, I thought, are we heading towards a forever Mac? Now, 
My previous two iMacs, I kept about three and a half, maybe four years each. Before that, I used to change every 18 to 24 months because that's the sweet spot when you want to resell it. And there was enough progress in Macs that in two years, it would be a pretty big leap from, you know, one processor to another, from, say, hard drive standard to SSD standard. You know, we went through a lot of things. We've reached a point now with these M1 processors that I can easily see keeping this Mac for five years or more because it's so much faster than what I need now. I can't see that changing in the future. Now, Apple's done something recently in the United States, and I expect they'll roll this out around the world. Apple Care contracts for Macs are generally three years, but now you can renew your Apple Care contract almost indefinitely after three years. Now, if Apple's going to cover your Mac with Apple Care, and remember, Apple Care is two things. It's insurance, so if you drop your MacBook Pro and break it, then you pay very little to fix the screen, but it's also hardware support. If something goes wrong with your Mac and more with a desktop, that's probably the only thing that's going to happen. They're going to replace the logic board, the display, or whatever goes wrong. Now, if they're willing to extend Apple Care seemingly indefinitely, uh, there's an asterisk, which I'll mention in a few minutes, they think that these Macs might actually last forever. And it, it's almost as if they'd rather get that monthly income for Apple Care than sell you a new Mac. I think in some ways this isn't terribly surprising because as you say part of it is it's it's like insurance right and insurance companies make a lot of money because of course not everybody has to make insurance claims right not everybody necessarily gets injured and this it's kind of the same thing with max as well you don't necessarily have your mac break i have some macs that um have you know hardly had any issues at all that you know over a period of five or sometimes many more than five years i actually still have functioning macs that where most of the parts are still working from gosh i have one mac that's like from 1999 that's still functional if you can believe that i i actually have a mac on my desk one of the original uh, 128K Macs um, that I keep. Yeah, but you don't use it. I don't use it on a regular basis, but I can still power it on if I wanted to. I could could turn it on and I could still use it. Okay, it's just sitting there collecting dust. (laughs) Yeah, okay, but there's a difference between having a Mac museum in your home and actually using something in everyday activities. Yeah, no, this is true. This is true. But I mean, like I I use, for example, I have a 2007 iMac uh, that I've mentioned before that I've upgraded to, I think it's running Mojave currently because of uh, some tweaks that I was able to do. And we have an article about that on the Intico Mac security blog explaining how to go through this process of upgrading a, a an officially unsupported Mac to a more recent version of Mac OS. And the hardware on that is actually still working really well. The only thing that I've really had to replace in that is the hard drive. And basically all the other hardware is still fully functional. And that's a Mac from 2007. So, um, you know, it's it's certainly possible that hardware can last a long time without necessarily needing a lot of repairs or replacement parts. Well, think about today's Macs. They don't have hard drives anymore. And that's the only <laughs> no, but that's the only thing with moving parts where you get actual yeah. wear. The M1 processors are notably cooler 
and use less power. So less heat and less power means less wear on all the components, I would assume, for electronic components. In fact, the only moving part in the iMac is the little tiny fans that are going so slow that you can't hear them, and you'll probably never hear anyway. It's it's conceivable that the fans, since they moved, they could stop working. But even if they did, how hot would this iMac get? If they can make the MacBook Air with exactly the same system on a chip, without a fan, then presumably the iMac isn't much hotter. The display is bigger. And, and I guess there's a little bit more heat from the display, but that's it. So when you say a forever Mac, I mean, you don't literally mean forever. I don't literally mean forever. I mean, long enough that it you forgot when you bought it, that kind of thing. Yeah, that you, that you could keep renewing AppleCare until you feel like, okay, now it's probably time for me to buy a new Mac. Well, for me, it used to be 18 to 24 months, but now I'm thinking we're talking five to seven years, if not more. Now, there is one condition under which the AppleCare contract can be terminated, and that's if service parts for the covered equipment are not available. Now, Apple guarantees that they'll provide parts for five years from when Apple last distributed the product for sale. Generally, a Mac is available for a year, a year and a half. It's pretty rare that you have something like the Mac Pro that goes more than three years before it's updated and is still sold. So you're talking about at least six years, but maybe even longer. We don't, this is, they're saying it's a minimum. I'm sure you can still get parts for some Macs older than five years. Right. Well, and, and in some cases, there were parts that had been used on multiple Mac models and things like that. So, um, yeah, that's absolutely the case. I think that it's important to point out here that we're talking about five years from the last date of sale, the last date that Apple is still selling a particular Mac model. Um, and and it's, so at, the way that Kirk is talking about it, too, um, this is... You could look at that as, okay, well, that means a minimum of six years, maybe seven years or or longer if you bought a Mac as soon as it came out, as soon as that model was released. So that, is a, that actually sounds pretty good to me. Um, and, and it's not too different from Apple's current plan in terms of how long they're going to support particular Mac hardware for new Mac OS releases. You know, it's it's typically about maybe, I think we were looking this up the other day, it was about seven years, I think, from the last date of sale, if I remember right, for most Mac models. Right. The, the Macs compatible with Big Sur start around 2013. There are some models that are later because they didn't exist, like the iMac Pro that came out, I think, in 2016. But it goes back to some models in 2013. So that's about seven years from when they were first sold to when Big Sur came out. There is a little aspect to this that I think is worth pointing out here, that Apple does, at a certain point, they sort of require you to buy new hardware if you want to still get security updates. Although this period of time, I think, has been increasing over the last several you know, releases of macOS, I, there was at one point... Um, I, I remember writing on my blog, I think in 2011, about um, how if you had bought a G5 processor Mac right at the tail end of, of that transition when Apple was transitioning from Motorola and IBM processors to Intel processors, there was a, a period of time when you could have gone exactly five years from the time that you bought your Mac to no longer getting any security updates at all. We haven't seen that extremity, I guess, on the short end of the spectrum for for quite a period of time, because even though Apple is supporting Macs for roughly seven years right now, they do still release security updates for the two previous versions of macOS. 
So I feel like Apple is improving here, but there's still sort of this planned obsolescence that's sort of built in and sort of assumed when you buy a new Mac. So what that means, though, is that with, let's say you're taking the, the longest duration of seven years and adding another two for two operating systems, since the operating system's updated every two years. So that puts you to nine years if you want to keep one Mac running an older operating system and not upgrade it. Yeah, which which is actually pretty good. I mean, most I, certainly any Windows PC users are not going to be using their PC for nine or more years. I think the difference here is, especially when we're looking at M1 processors and how you know, little impact web browsing and other like standard everyday functions are that, that everybody's using their Macs for, uh, how little impact that has on the processor. When we're talking about this idea of a forever Mac, I, I think these Macs um, could easily be used for much longer than 10 years if that's the, really the main purpose that people are using them for, if they want to use them for web browsing and things like that. So honestly, I think when it comes to this um, permanently extended Apple Care, we're going to probably get to the to the point where if as long as Apple continues to allow you to extend Apple Care indefinitely, I think we'll probably get to the point with these M1 Macs where people will no longer be able to get a current version of Mac OS that is current or current minus two and still be able to get security updates for it. At, at some point, you know, is Apple going to say, okay, well, anything that's on the vintage and obsolete list, um, we already know that those Macs don't get to run the latest version of Mac OS, but you know, it'll be interesting to see over time what Apple starts considering vintage or obsolete. Is that going to change? Um, or is Apple going to lengthen that time because they like getting this recurring revenue from the Apple Care program? Um, I think you have a really strong point here that I, I don't think that there's anything that prevents Apple from benefiting from this idea of just continuing to allow uh, Apple Care coverage to be extended indefinitely because Apple is still making money from you one way or another, whether you're buying new hardware or whether you're using your old hardware and continuing to pay Apple for it, essentially. Well, you're paying for Apple Care and you're also paying for Apple Music or the Apple One subscriptions or Apple TV or Apple Arcade, all the different services, your iCloud storage space, and they're still getting that monthly vig from you. One more thing that I noticed about vintage and obsolete products is I'll link in the show notes to an Apple support page where they talk about how service and parts may be obtained as required by law for up to seven years. But they also say Mac notebooks may be eligible for an extended battery-only repair period for up to 10 years from when the product was last distributed for sale subject to parts availability. Now, 10 years for a laptop, that's a long time. Yep, yep. So a forever Mac, yeah, maybe not forever. It's forever with an asterisk. That's a good way to put it. Yes. Okay. All right, Josh. Until next week, stay secure. All right. Stay secure. Thanks for listening to the Intego Mac Podcast, the voice of Mac security, with your hosts, Kirk McElhern and Josh Long. To get every weekly episode, be sure to follow us in Apple Podcasts or subscribe in your favorite podcast app. And if you can, leave a rating, a like, or a review. Links to topics and information mentioned in the podcast can be found in the show notes for the episode at podcast.intego.com. The Intego website is also where to find details on the full line of Intego security and utility software, intego.com.